0: Chapter Fifteen of Three Weeks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gail Timmerman Vaughan. Three Weeks by Eleanor Glynn. Chapter Fifteen. It was a beautiful apartment that Dimitri had found for them on the Grand Canal in Venice, in an old palace looking southwest. A convenient door in a side canal cloaked the exit and entry of its inhabitants from curious eyes, had there been any to indulge in curiosity. But in Venice there is a good deal of the feeling of live and let live, and the dolce farniente of the life is not conducive to an over-anxious interest in the doings of one's neighbors. Money and intelligence can achieve a number of things in a short space of time, and Dmitri had had both at his command. So everything including a chef from Paris and a retinue of Italian servants, was ready when on the Tuesday evening Paul arrived at the station. What a wonderland it seemed to him, Venice! A wonderland where, awaiting him, his heart's delight, more passionately desired than ever after three days of total abstinence. As after the Friday afternoon he had spent more or less in hiding in the terrace room, his lady had judged it wiser for him not to come at all to Lucerne, and on the Saturday had met him at a quiet part of the shore of the lake, beyond the landing steps of the funiculaire, and for a few short hours they had cruised about on the blue waters, but her sweetest tenderness and ready wit had not been able entirely to eliminate the feeling of unrest which troubled them. And then there were the nights, the miserable evenings and nights of separation. On the Sunday she had departed to Venice, and after she had gone Paul had returned for one day to Lucerne leaving again on the Monday, apparently as unacquainted with Madame Zelenska as he had been the first night of his arrival. He had not seen her since Saturday, three whole days of anguishing longing, and now, in half an hour at least, she would be in his arms. The journey through the beautiful scenery from Lucerne had been got through at night. All day from Milan a feverish excitement had dominated him and prevented his taking any interest in outward surroundings a magnetic attraction seemed drawing him on, on, to the center of light and joy, his lady's presence. Dmitri and an Italian servant awaited his arrival. Not an instant's delay for luggage called a halt. Thompson and the Italian were left for that, and Paul departed with his trusty guide. It was about seven o'clock. The opalescent lights were beginning to show in the sky, and their reflection in the water as he stooped his tall head to enter the covered gondola. It was all too beautiful and wonderful to take in at once, and then he only wanted wings the sooner to arrive, not eyes, to see the passing objects. Afterwards the strange soft cry of the gondoliers and the sights appealed to him, but on this first evening every throb of his being was centered upon the one moment when he should hold his beloved one to his heart. He could hardly contain his impatience and walk sedately beside Dmitri when they ascended the great stone staircase he felt like bounding up three steps at a time. Dmitri had been respectfully silent. Madame was well, that was all he would say. He opened the great double door with a latch key, and Paul found himself in a vast hall, almost unfurnished, but for some tapestry on the walls, a huge gilt marriage chest, and a couple of chairs. It was ill-lit, and there was something of decay and gloom in its aspect. On they went, through other doors to a salon, vast and gloomy too, and then the glory and joy of heaven seemed to spring upon paul's view when the shrine of the goddess was reached a smaller room whose windows faced the grand canal now illuminated by the setting sun in all its splendor coming in shafts from the balcony blinds and among the quaintest and most old world surroundings mixed with her own wonderful personal notes of luxury his lady rose from the tiger catch to meet him his lady his queen and indeed she seemed a queen when at last he held her at arm's length to look at her. She was garbed already for dinner in a marvellous garment of shimmering purple, while round her shoulders a scarf of brilliant pale emerald gauze, all fringed with gold, fell in two long ends, and on her neck and in her ears great emeralds gleamed. A pear-shaped one of unusual brilliancy fell at the parting of the waves of her hair onto her white, smooth forehead. But the colour of her eyes he could not be sure of only they were two wells of love and passion, gazing into his own. All the simplicity of the Birkenstock surroundings was gone. The flowers were in the greatest profusion, rare, and heavily scented. The pillows of the couch were more splendid than ever. Cloths of gold and silver, and wonderful shades of orange and green velvet, were among the purple ones he already knew. Priceless pieces of brocade, interwoven with gold, covered the screens and other couches and near enough to pick up when she wanted them stood jeweled boxes of cigarettes and bonbons and stands of perfume her expression too was altered a new mood shone there and later when paul learnt the history of the wonderful women of san Quicento, Venice, it seemed as if something of their exotic voluptuous spirit now lived in her this was a new queen to worship and die for if necessary he dimly felt, even in these first moments, that there he would drink still deeper of the mysteries of life and passionate love. "'Best-ce moi she said, my priceless one. "'At last I have you again to make me live. "'Ah, I must know it is really you, my pole.' They were sitting on the tiger by now, and she undulated round and all over him, feeling his coat and his face and his hair, as a blind person might till at last it seemed as if she were twined about him like a serpent, and every now and then a narrow shaft of the glorious dying sunlight would strike the great emerald on her forehead and give forth sparks of vivid green which appeared reflected again in her eyes. Paul's head swam. He felt intoxicated with bliss. This menace is for you and me, my Paul, she said. The air is full of love and dreams. We have left the slender moon behind us in Switzerland. Here she is nearing the full." and the summer is upon us with all her richness and completeness. The spring of our love has passed. Her voice fell into its rhythmical cadence, as if she were whispering a prophecy inspired by some presence beyond. We will drink deep of the cup of delight, my lover, and bathe in the wine of the gods. We shall feast on the tongues of nightingales, and rest on couches of flowers. And thou shalt seed me thy soul, beloved, and I will give thee mine but the rest was lost in the meeting of their lips. They dined on the open loggia, its curtains drawn, hiding them from the view of the palaces opposite, but not preventing the soft sounds of the singers in the gondolas moored to the poles beneath from reaching their ears. And above the music now and then would come the faint splash of water and the stahi preme of some moving gondolier. The food was of the richest, beginning with strange fishes and quantities of hors d'oeuvre that Paul knew not, accompanied by vodka in several forms, and some of the plats she would just taste, and some send instantly away. And all the while a little fountain of her own perfume played from a group of sportive cupids in silver, while the table in the centre was piled with red roses. Dmitri and two Italian footmen waited, and everything was done with the greatest state. A regal magnificence was in the lady's air and mien. She spoke of the splendours of Venice's past, and let Paul feel the atmosphere of that subtle time of passion and life, of here a love scene and there a murder, of wisdom and vice and intoxicating emotion, all blended in a kaleidoscope of gorgeousness and color. And once again her vast knowledge came as a fresh wonder to Paul. No smallest detail of history seemed wanting in her talk, so that he lived again in that old world and felt himself a doge. When they were alone at last, Tasting the golden wine, she rose and drew him to the loggia balustrade. Dmitri had drawn back the curtains and extinguished the lights, and only the brilliant moon lit the scene, a splendid moon, two nights from the full. There she shone straight down upon them to welcome them to this city of romance. What loveliness met Paul's view, a loveliness in which art and nature blended in one satisfying whole. Darling, he said, this is better than the Birkenstock. Let us go out on the water, and float about, too. It was exceedingly warm these last days of May, and that night not a zephyr stirred a ripple. A cloak and scarf of black gauze soon hid the lady's splendor, and they descended the staircase hand in hand to the waiting, open gondola. It was a new experience of joy for Paul to recline there, and drift away down the stream, amidst the music, and the colored lanterns, and the wonderful, wonderful spell of the place." The lady was silent for a while, and then she began to whisper passionate words of love. She had never before been thus carried away, and he must say them to her, as he held her hand, burning words, inflaming the imagination, and exciting the sense. It seemed as if all the other nights of love were concentrated into this one in its perfect joy. Who can tell of the wild exultation which filled Paul? He was no longer just Paul Verdane, the ordinary young Englishman, he was a god, and this was Olympus. Look, Paul, she said at last, can you not see Desdemona peeping from the balcony of her house there? And to think she will have no happiness before her moor will strangle her tonight. Death without joys, ah, that is cruel. Some joys are well worth death, are they not, my lover, as you and I should know? Worth death and eternity, said Paul, for one such night as this with you a man would sell his soul. It was not until they turned at the opening of the Guidecca to return to their palazzo that they both became aware of another gondola following them, always at the same distance behind a gondola with two solitary figures in it huddled on the seats. The lady gave a whispered order in Italian to her gondolier, who came to a sudden stop, thus forcing the other boat to come much nearer before it too arrested its course. There was a moon being caught in the faces of the men as they leant forward to see what had occurred. One of them was Dmitri, and the other a younger man, of the pure Kalmuk type, whom Paul had never seen. "'Vassili!' exclaimed the lady, in passionate surprise. "'Vassili! And they have not told me!' She trembled all over, while her eyes blazed green flames of anger and excitement. "'If it is unnecessary, they shall feel the whip for this.' Her cloak had fallen aside a little, disclosing a shimmer of purple garment and flashing emeralds she looked barbaric, her raven brows knit. It might have been Cleopatra commanding the instant death of an offending slave. It made Paul's pulses bound. It seemed so of the picture and the night. All was a mad dream of exotic emotion, and this was just an extra note. But who was Vasily, and what did his presence portend? Something fateful at all events. The lady did not speak further, only by the quiver of her nostrils and the gleam in her eyes he knew how deeply she was stirred. Yes, one or the other would feel the whip if they had been overzealous in their duties. It seemed, out of sheer defiance of some fate, that she decided to go on into the lagoon when they passed San Giorgio. It was growing late, and Paul's thoughts had turned to greater joys. He longed to clasp her in his arms, to hold her, and prove her his own. But she sat there, her small head held high, and her eyes fearless and proud thus did he not dare to plead with her. But presently, when she perceived the servants were no longer following, her mood changed, the sweetness of the serpent of the old Nile fell upon her, and all of love that can be expressed in whispering words and tender hand-clasps. She lavished upon Paul, after ordering the gondolier to hasten back to the palazzo. It seemed as if she, too, could not contain her impatience to be again in her lover's arms. I will not question them to-night, she said when they arrived, and she saw Dmitri awaiting her on the steps. Tonight we will live and love at least, my Paul, live and love in passionate bliss. But she could not repress the flash of her eyes, which appeared to annihilate the old servant. He fell on his knees with murmured words of supplication. Oh, Imperator Skoya, And Paul guessed it meant Imperial Highness, and a great wonder grew in his mind. Their supper was laid at the loggia again, and under the windows the musicians still played and sang a gentle accompaniment to their sighs of love. But later still, Paul learnt what fiercest passion meant, making other memories as moonlight unto sunlight, as water unto wine. End of chapter fifteen.